Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 2001 film, A Beautiful Mind, concerns a mathematician, economist, etc., uh, John Nash, played by Russell Crowe in the film. Uh, some dispute as far as the accuracy of the film, and some of that will be discussed today. Uh, joining us today is Will Hall from Madness Radio. Uh, he is recovering from a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Uh, Will, thank you for uh, being here today. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. Quiz. Now, um, I do want to mention a couple of resources uh, up front. I know that there is a crisis text line available. Uh, in the U.S., you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. In the U.K., you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. And depending upon where you are in the world, uh, check your local listings, as they say. Um, Will, thank you so much for being here today. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, great. I'm really interested to, to talk today about uh, mental health and also the film A Beautiful Mind. Exactly. Now, this is not... D uh, despite the name of the podcast, Mental Health Film <laughs> Comment, I sort of backed myself into a corner when I set up the podcast and then it got, you know, going as far as, you know, the, the direction of the podcast. So it's not a... Okay, I'm all, I'm all, in, I'm all in favor of, of calling outside <laughs> the, the lines, man. Let's just, exactly, exactly. Let's do it, do it, you know, do it however you want to do it. Exactly. And, and, and there's no dispute that A Beautiful Mind as a movie is a good movie. I mean, I know if, if it's a Hollywood movie and they, and they throw in tons of money and, and production and cast and whatnot, I mean, there's, I would, say it's a, I would say it's a well-crafted Hollywood. Well-crafted. Well I, I would, I would have to say it's a terrible movie and we can explain. C correct. Can and, yeah, yeah. and that's why I wanted to have you on today is because if I simply talk about the film and talk about oh, how, how wonderful this film is and how you know, wonderful this is for, for mental health issues and whatnot, and simply stick to that talking point, so to speak. I don't see the value in that. If, if you're going to dig deeper, which we're going to do uh, today, that's where I think the value comes from you know what i mean because if it's just sitting around talking about oh russell's crow so great and and the jennifer Connolly character in the film who, who plays his wife is, is so great and blah 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 and talking about the ed harris character the uh, fbi agent is it fbi or cia i think it might be cia in the film. um yeah i think he's a cia guy then if that's the the length of this of the discussion What's, I, I don't see the, the value in that, but when we dig deeper, such as what, what we'll be doing, that's where I think it's of benefit and, and a value to, um, to, to, to the listening audience. I think it's an extremely important film to study, not as a film so much as a historical phenomenon, as an indication of where we are with mental health in the United States. And I'll just, I'll just very, very briefly kind of explain why. First of all, it's an enduring popular film. It was done 20 years ago. It's still considered a great film. Lots of people really refer to it. They go to it. It's, 
it's something that people turn to not just as a great Hollywood film on its own terms, but also about learning about schizophrenia and mental health. And at the same time, the film drastically departs from the actual biography of John Nash, which is well known. You can listen to interviews about John Nash, you can read articles about it, you can read his biography, and it's very clear that the film just absolutely fabricates not just some details to make a good story, but it goes against the entire message that should be getting across, which is that John Nash recovered and was able to continue to do his work as not just a mathematician, but as a Nobel Prize winning mathematician with huge impact in all these domains of knowledge because he stopped taking medications. What they did was that they took a film, a story, a man's story, of probably one of the most significant schizophrenic diagnosed people in history because he won the Nobel Prize, he's been so prominent. They took his story and they fabricated a reality around medication. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to fit into the message of the prevailing mental health system, which is take your meds, take your meds, take your meds. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not anti-meds. People take medications. People find help from medications. But the problem is that we have a society that's pushing medications as the only answer and telling everyone that medications are the way forward. And then here comes the story of a very prominent man diagnosed with schizophrenia. It doesn't fit the prevailing mythology that pharma is promoting. So what do we do? We violate his 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 history, his integrity, his his personhood by twisting the facts. And if you watch the film, you can see that it's very a very strong message about the importance of love. It's a very strong message about the importance of family. It's a very strong message about the importance of tolerating diversity and weirdness. All that is great, but then there's this speech that Russell Crowe did did and it really, when you watch it, it sounds like it was added as an afterthought. And he says, I am crazy. I'm taking the new medication medications. Now, we don't know for sure, but first of all, Russell, uh, John Nash never said that. He's said the opposite. I'm not crazy, and I don't take medications. And if we look at the history, and there's been some investigative work on this, it appears that that's literally what happened, that someone looked at the script and then added that piece as an afterthought. Exactly. That is my understanding, is that there was an early draft of the film. And for those who don't know this, most major mainstream Hollywood movies go through numerous rewrites, test screenings, etc. And so my understanding is that one such uh, eyeball, one such pair of eyeballs mm -hmm. who saw an early draft of the film was the organization National Alliance on I think it was I think my understanding was it was the mom of one of the screenwriter it was okay mother was a therapist but then I think you're right the the National Alliance uh, for the mentally ill NAMI which is the leading mental health charity in the world they then used the film and in their press releases said this is a great film for demonstrating the importance of taking your medications so you know. they, they had a vested interest Absolutely. in not just seeing the movie succeed, but a vested interest in pushing a point of view that otherwise was not in the original draft of the film. And it's a point of view that's actually, Brian, it's very simple. It just yeah. says, look, medications help some people. They don't help other people. We have to tailor our response to what the individual needs. That's not a radical statement. That's not some kind of controversial statement. That's just consistent with the research. And the film couldn't risk, it couldn't risk being true 
to John Nash's biography and say, hey, this is a man who attributes his recovery and his ability to, to do Nobel Prize winning mathematics to not taking medications. The film just couldn't say that because it would have blown up the prevailing mythology and the prevailing propaganda message. And then you have a lot of people saying, well, wait a second, you know, maybe I'm not getting the right message about my medications. Maybe I should have the option to explore options. And the, um, the great thing about the film is that it emphasizes community and it emphasizes, it emphasizes acceptance that John Nash was able to find a very accepting community at Princeton. People just knew him as the eccentric, weird professor. And, and what I'd like to see, I'd like to see the whole world be more tolerant of weirdness and eccentricity and to provide loving support and sanctuary. The, the film got it right that his wife and later, she, even though they were divorced, he st she still supported him. His wife provided a sanctuary at home instead of continuing to submit him to what were essentially torture experiences in the psychiatric system. And that, and that is a beautiful message. We need to not abuse people in hospitals, but get them into loving social contexts where they can be supported, give, given time, given a chance to slowly reintegrate if they choose to by allowing them to be tolerated for their weirdness. That's a great message, but then, and that's the message of John Nash's life, but then that's not tolerable to the mental health system and to big pharma, so they just hammer in this other message, the opposite message, and then NAMI uses it to kind of promote their, their agenda. The other thing that the film uh, quotes um, John Nash around is that John Nash, he said something very interesting. He said that someone asked him, John, you're such a smart man. Why did you believe in your voices? Because he heard voices. He didn't see hallucinations. He heard voices. I said, why did you believe your, your voices? And he says, well, because my voices came from the same place as my mathematical insights. Now think about that. This is a man, he's a brilliant, a brilliant individual, super genius, Nobel Prize. He refuses to pathologize himself. He refuses to just say, oh, I was crazy. And then in the film, the rewrite of the film makes him say, I was crazy. But yeah. he's, he's opening a much more complicated question. What is going on with an individual who's getting incredible genius insights that lead him to have a Nobel Prize in mathematics? And he says they come from the same place as my so-called madness. What is going on there? That's the conversation we ought to be having around schizophrenia, not have you taken your medications, medications are the savior. It's a very rich, I really encourage people to study the contrast between the film and what John Nash himself says about his life because it reveals so much about what's going on and what's going wrong in our approach to mental illness today. Correct. Now, I, I'm, I'm very happy that you're you're here today talking about this because, and actually one thing I do need to interject really quick, and I, I told you I would interject this uh, please, yeah, from time to time. Please, uh, yeah. If you are on any medication, please, please talk with your doctor, uh, any doctor, uh, before any, making any changes. Um, so, so that said, I would, I would, I would make it a little bit differently. Uh, I would, you know, be be cautious. Don't just throw your meds away. Uh, medic, if you are reconsidering, then talk to your doctor. Maybe get some support. Talk to people in your life. If you can get support from your doctor, great. But often people, what I see is that people make the mistake of just going it alone. Exactly. Yeah. And we're not, neither one of us is doctors, we're not giving people, you know, medical advice, but I, I take a harm reduction approach. I want to support people staying on medications if that's what works for them. I, want, I think they should have the option of exploring medications 
medication withdrawal and coming off meds like John Nash. He was given the opportunity to stop taking meds. He got support and wow, he had this incredible recovery and did this incredible contribution to science. And that's uh, it says a lot about what we call schizophrenia or bipolar or psychosis that people, but you're absolutely right. No one on this podcast or in my work is saying you should come off meds, you should throw your meds away. That's not a harm reduction approach. That wouldn't be, wouldn't be supportive and wouldn't be compassionate. Exactly. Now, um, on your point, though, about the, the variance of the film from his biography, mm-hmm. there is doc, there is documented biblio, what's the term? Bi- bibliographic support. I'm not sure if I said that word correctly. Uh, one example is in Scientific American. There is an article uh, uh, written by a Rachel Retner of June 4th, 2015. He, this is John Nash's uh, own recollection, claimed that aging as opposed to medicine helped improve his condition. Well, that's a that is that's Scientific American again, kind of towing the line because yeah. he stopped taking medications in 1970, mm-hmm. and so he was glad that he stopped taking medications because it made his math work possible. But yes, he also said that you know, getting older. Now, was it getting older like his body and brain getting older, or was it him learning? Yeah. Was it getting back into practice with society? Was him given a chance, and then slowly, slowly, slowly. Mm-hmm. We may we may never know, but I I did read that Scientific American. It it kind of dodges. Oh, you, you think it? Okay. Yeah, I think it yeah. it tries to spin it. It's a little bit of spin control. Because yeah. tragically, I think John Nash died in 2015. Tragically, you know, he died because he was in a car accident, and neither his, he nor his wife were wearing seatbelts. Oh, that's thought, wow. You know, it's oh, so sad. Yeah. But I have to say, you know, there's something also that's really. It's tragic, but it's also romantic because they both died at the same time. Couples yeah. often die at different times and they yeah. suffer. So he didn't suffer, he didn't have a long, but it is it is kind of one of the great ironies that we lost him out of just this carelessness yeah. to not wear a, a seatbelt. Yeah. So I think there were, there were a spate of articles that came out in 2015, in 2015 kind of relooking at his legacy. But no, there was never any real reckoning NAMI has never apologized. The, the, the director of the film, you know, uh, Russell Crowe has never apologized because it's it's radioactive. They don't want to touch. Yeah. Them. It's like yeah. really controversial. They're yeah. they're nervous. They sort of stepped into a controversy because his life has incredibly powerful implications for how we understand schizophrenia, and we're just as a society not ready to uh, face that. At least yeah. some of them aren't ready. To face that well one one of the great ironies in this is and i and i and i'm not sure if you remember but when the film came out it was it was positioned as what we often like to call oscar bait yeah an yeah oscar exactly. bait movie yeah ron, and, ron howard said give me give me a give me a script yeah. that'll be an oscar and someone said hey what about john nash yeah let's yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah so one of one of the drawbacks of making an oscar bait movie is guess what? There's going to be other Oscar bait movies that are also want want a campaign for an Oscar, and so there was a lot of um, mudslinging, as you could say. I don't know if that would be the right word about a beautiful mind. One of which, irony of ironies, is the the the, the, the character in question was arrested, allegedly arrested. Mm-hmm 
for homosexuality, which at the time was in the DSM as a disorder. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to, to John Nash's history. I mean, first of all, pretty much everybody says he was a jerk. Yeah. He was arrogant. He was mean. He pushed people around. He actually physically assaulted his wife in public in front of other people at a picnic. So this is not a cute, cuddly, you know, R Russell Crowe guy that we can give lots of pity to. But of course, that's how they wrote the film. The film is kind of like disability porn. It's very like it, old, old school, yeah. sort of like looking down. Russell Crowe, the, John Nash is not given the dignity of human adult conflicts. And one of the biggest conflicts that I, I think that he probably went through was being closeted for his gay side. And I, I don't want to necessarily put him in a, in a gay or straight box. He may have been bisexual, he, but he clearly had sexual erotic relations with men and he was closeted his whole life. And of course, it's a big controversy. He's not going to go there. He's not going to come out. But think about that. Think about the era that he lived through and then think about his so-called delusions, his so-called paranoia, that he's a spy, he's living a double life, he's being chased, he's got, there's this whole conspiracy against him, you see? So a lot of the delusional experience that was part of his psychosis, maybe it's explained by the trauma of the oppression of living in a homophobic society that doesn't yeah. make space for gay and bisexual men. Now that's an interesting film. I, that's the film I'd like yeah, to see. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah, and everything you're talking about, that's the movie that I would have loved to see. Yeah, because, I think someday someone's gonna actually make yeah. a, a, a proper film about John. Yeah. I think there's a PBS documentary that's mm -hmm. supposed to be much right. better. And I'm of the opinion, and I don't know if you, you are the same way, that mm -hmm. the movie going audience, even the mainstream, movie going audience is much smarter than we give them credit for. Absolutely. And That's so the, if if you make a safe and I think this movie was PG thirteen as I recall, PG or yeah, PG thirteen. Yeah. If you give them a you know, it's gonna be like I said, is a well made movie. Nobody's denying it's a well made movie. But I think if you look back, it's not a movie that has really necessarily aged that well. Well, I, I think that actually, I think unfortunately, it's still pointed to as one of the leading. Hey, learn about schizophrenia. Yeah. Films. I think a lot of people go go in that direction. And honestly, I think that the society could have handled it. We could have handled a little bit more complexity about him. We could have handled a message that says, "Hey, John Nash got off medications. It was good for him to get off medications, but it may not be right for you." We could have handled that that complex message, but that would have directly challenged the ideological propaganda hegemony of big pharma and also 2000 is the height of the biological model. I mean, it was just rolling. There wasn't pushback on the antidepressants yet. There wasn't pushback on the whole pill culture, there wasn't the explosion. It was just getting started. So um, I, I think that um, that we really deserve a better film about his life. He because he was a very complicated and very interesting person. Part of one of his problems was he was so obsessive with solving math puzzles, and that I think was part of his personality. And also, I think the his insights into what he was going through fact that he never really repudiated he never said there's a quote from him where he says something like this is not the same as recovering from an illness and then coming back i lost something um yeah. let me see if i can get the the quote he says yeah. that um 
let's see if I have it. I think I have it right here. He says, um, the ideas I had about supernatural beings came to me the same way that my mathematical ideas did. So I took them seriously. And um, that's very, very interesting. He also says that there's no doubt that great mathematicians suffer from maniacal characteristics, delirium, and symptoms of schizophrenia. Wow. I mean, these are, what does he mean by that? What is he, what is yeah. he trying to go? People are always selling the idea that people with mental illness are suffering. I think madness can be an escape. If things are not so good, you maybe want to imagine something better. At present time, I seem to be thinking rationally again in the style that is characteristic of scientists. Think about how he characterizes that. I'm thinking rationally in the style that is characteristic of scientists. He's not saying I'm thinking in the healthy way, I'm thinking in the better way. Yeah. yeah. And, then he, and then he goes on and he says, however, this is not entirely a matter of joy, as if someone returned from physical disability to good health. One aspect of this, one aspect of this is that rationality of thought imposes a limit on a person's concept of his relation to the cosmos. This is a guy who had really deep insight into reality, um, the nature of rationality, and madness. He won a Nobel Prize for mathematics, and he's got incredibly controversial views about madness. I think we need to listen to him yeah, instead, of, instead of creating a BS, feel-good, disability-porn yeah. film so that Ron, yeah. Ron Howard can get a, an Oscar. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it, it, I, I'm I'm glad to have you on there, and and I'm especially glad that the passage of time will remove this conversation from any such semblance of oh, it's just Oscar movies quibbling for you know the, the you know the top prize. So that's that's my and in, in, you know intention that hopefully this conversation can be far removed from that uh, you know from from that that level of, of politicking. It's a moment. Um, it's a moment in the political history of psychiatry. Really. Yeah. It's a moment where a lot of good could have been done from this film, um, and it was a missed opportunity. Sure. You know? Well, let me let me something. You have undoubtedly, as I have encountered from time to time, you see these lists on the internet about, you know, the top ten films about mental health. You know, blah blah blah. Right. This is one of the films, The Beautiful Mind. Yeah. When I see this movie on one on a, a list like that, I immediately discard the rest of the list because right. you know what i mean if, if it's like if they considered this same way with one flew over the cuckoo's nest when i see one flew over the cuckoo's nest and i see that on a list of best mental health movies i, I like to shake my head and go really <laughs> you know well, same think, thing same thing with yeah. a beautiful mind i mean I there's there are so many movies to pick from that it's like these are the movies people are always picking is like the most it's like really you've got right. you've got foreign films you know you've got independent mm -hmm. films and it's like a beautiful mind is always mentioned is you know uh -huh. really i really liked lars and the real girl i thought was a yeah. really good film that's a really good film. man facing southeast um i think oh, a lot man, of man facing southeast is awesome yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it, um, Brian, has to do with where our culture is. Yeah. Because mental health and psychosis and madness are so taboo and so undiscussed. And the only way that they are discussed in these very controlled sort of like, I was I was insane, I was resisting treatment, then I got enlightenment and I agreed with my diagnosis and then I decided to take medications and now I'm better. That's the only story that we're allowed here. And I think a lot of people just need to kind of have more compassion 
And so a film like this in a, in a weird way, because it is about pity and it is about the cute, cuddly schizophrenic, it might create some compassion, but at the expense of denying the humanity and the humanness of the whole experience of being diagnosed and going through madness. And, and so I, I think that, you know, these films are more like representatives or they're kind of like symptoms of yeah. what's going on in society. And a lot of it is cultural, but a lot of it is just political and economic. I mean, there's a lot of people making a lot of money off of antipsychotic drugs. There's a giant industry of just pouring money into charities and psychiatrists and careers and research. And that is going to take a certain amount of political economic pushback before we sure. break through that. But on the level of popular culture, there's a lot of really interesting things going on with films and TV shows. And I mean, I talk to a lot, a lot of a lot of young people and, you know, we can relate around the Matrix or we can relate around the X-Men. I mean, there's a certain understanding, but that's kind of like underground. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of like not really like the yeah. kind of thing you see on the local news. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. sort of like in the popular culture. Yeah. Uh, and and that's and I, I mean, I'm I'm happy to hear you say that because that's one of the things that inevitably um, I'd like to 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 give give voice to on on this podcast because there's almost like a universal sentiment that mental health care, which is a crisis at this point, sucks, and yet despite the unanimous agreement, I don't think there's any disagreement that healthcare in the country and probably in the, in the world at this point sucks the moment someone steps up to take action such as many of the bento withdrawal groups uh, a lot of what, what you're doing the moment someone steps up and, and takes tangible effort to make a change to have things you know unsuck and be a little better that person is immediately demonized and criticized and and have have the the word uh, pill shaming thrown at them, mm -hmm. almost like to to like shut down any sort of, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? It it, it, no, it, Tom, seems, it, just, seems, it just seems very contradictory. It it's is. Like, it's, it's really it's a it's a lot about our um our culture. You know, we put people in boxes and we say you're the enemy, you're the bad yeah. guy. And having a conversation, I also get I got thrown at. You're a Scientologist, you know, something like this. This is why some, a concept like harm reduction is so yeah. powerful and so yeah. useful. Because, hey, we're not saying that one is better than the other. We're trying to meet people where they're at. We're trying to really support people for the pathway that's going to work for them. And people yeah. can intuitively relate that. Treatment has to be individual. A, resp a social response has to be to individual needs, not putting people in boxes. Oh, you've got, we put this label on you, therefore we're gonna put this treatment on you. And if it doesn't work, we're gonna add more pills. And if that doesn't work, we're gonna add more pills. Yeah. And, pe and people intuitively get it. And unfortunately there's a political and economic reality where there's a lot of shutdown and there's a lot of blaming and there's a lot of either or. And I, you know, I, I make it very plain that, you know, I have, um, really moved on in my life because I don't take medication and I know people who benefit from medication and that yeah. that's and is that because we live in a society that doesn't have options maybe that's why they benefit because they're choosing yeah. lousy options and the mm -hmm. pills are the least up are the least lousy but I would never say to someone you know no this is not your experience it means to me that's the biggest crime of psychiatry is not listening to someone so if someone says this works for me I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to them yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And we have to we do have to clean up our science. Our science is super corrupted. There are basic facts, and the basic fact is that John Nash is not some, 
you know, aberration. Many, many people with that diagnos diagnosis have always recovered without medication. That's been throughout the history of psychiatry. And um, we have to clean up some of our facts about the corruption of the pharmaceutical industry and the psychiatric industry in spinning all of these research studies and putting so much focus on genetics and neurotransmitters and not enough in things like bullying, poverty, childhood neglect, trauma, all the different factors that we know that go into um, contributing to what it is that drives someone into an extreme state or war. And maybe in John Nash's case, maybe it was homophobia that contributed to him not being able to kind of resolve who he was in a homophobic society. And he starts to get these delusions and all this internal conflict. So yeah. can I say, have you heard of the, the group out of, and I say group, you know, facetiously, but uh, the, the, I guess I could say group out of England right now, the, the, the drop, the disorder and a disorder. Yeah, they seem like they're doing pretty pretty good work. Um, yeah. Would be my impression. I don't know that much about them, but why do you bring it up? Well, I mentioned it because you had just mentioned um, some of the the, the different uh, avenues that are probably yeah. up, and that and that one in particular mm -hmm. is one that I I, I seem to be really um, taken by at this point because they're uh, they basically look at poet you know namely poetry but in, in general art and looking at art, which again, in the context of poetry, as being uh, an avenue for recovery and getting totally. beyond those traditional paradigms and looking at a more of a, of a creative process. The totally. creative process is that's something I that I just, I don't mm -hmm. see a lot of comparable scenario in the US. Yeah, there's a number of, of people that I interviewed on Madness Radio who are poets and musicians and exactly, I, think, yeah. I think you're absolutely right, but you have to, we don't really have that space yet where people can just really tell their raw stories mm -hmm. because there's going to be too much that's considered objectionable. People are going to get angry about their meds. They're going to get angry about their doctors. <laughs> yeah. They're going to want to drop the disorder. And yeah. so we haven't, we haven't really got enough of a space. Yeah. I would like us to. I think we, I think we can slowly yeah. get there. But I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, creativity and madness are very closely related. And one of the things I like about poetry is that it does get to that really raw honesty. Like this is what happened to me, and f you if you don't agree with me or believe me. I don't even care. This is my truth, and that's what we need to listen to, because people. That's when people's stories get very interesting. Someone says, "Oh, you know, my brain is malfunctioning. I have a disorder. Now I take meds. Now I'm better." Where's the story there? Yeah, what, yeah. Where's the life? Where's the history? I want to hear about someone's what struggles a person has been through. What conflicts exactly, yeah. are they having inside of them? What are their emotions yeah. like? What, what's their what is their outlook on life? Not just do you have symptoms or not, but who are you? What have you been through? What are you surviving? What are you struggling with? And and then I find that people with a diagnosis have incredibly interesting stories. They've been through so much. They've learned how to survive in incredibly creative, and powerful, and and courageous. Um, ways and we need to hear more of that but that means getting into the story and I mean if someone like John Nash can't even get his story told honestly then clearly the society is not ready to really start to hear the stories of people who have mental health diagnosis I want us to get there but we're not we're not and the way to do it is to keep pushing so everybody out there who's listening to this podcast, I encourage you, get your story out there somehow, whether it's just writing what happened, using, an, using a pseudonym or a chosen name or whatever you want to do anonymously, writing poetry, creating a, 
YouTube video on your phone. I mean, now is the time. Start putting it out there and then find the others. Find other people who really resonate with your experience and who can really connect with and then re rediscover friendship. Because I have to say, I mean, that is one of the things I loved about Beautiful Mind, the film, is that it emphasizes community and friendship and love as the solution. And as cliche as it sounds, how you know, you've, already, you've heard this a million times, yeah. it really is true. Relationships are the key. I don't mean just having someone you say is a friend or, yeah, my, my mom supports me or my dad supports me. No, I mean really feeling safe, that you can trust, that you can open up, that you can be vulnerable, and you really receive a caring response that makes you feel understood. We live in a society of solitude, loneliness, and people are lonely in a crowd. And they get so they get so caught up in internet and films and running around and doing stuff. And even in the pandemic, we're just, we're, it's endless distractions. We are completely psychophobic. We're afraid of our own minds. We're afraid of emotions. And we have a tremendous loneliness, even in crowds and even among couples and families and friends and social groups. We need to rediscover how to build friendship together because I think that's really the lesson of, of John Nash's recovery is his friendship with his his wife and I think that's my my experience and it was by discovering friendship but only by being honest and telling my story can you can you start to really build friendship on that real basis of real trust and real intimacy true now on that point one thing that I do quite frequently on the podcast mention and mm -hmm. um, I hope you don't like grab a helmet okay. and duck when I say this. I'll tell. I'll tell you. <laughs> is when I say when I say these words again, you might grab mm -hmm. a helmet and, and duck. But <laughs> the, the the words that I sometimes say, because I, I still mean it when I say it, which is you're not alone. Because I know that that word has been co-opted yeah, to yeah. a large degree, yeah. and so when when I say it, I don't say it in terms of me jumping on some corporations you know pr but i'm saying it as if i which i mean which i really do mean yeah, i i agree with and, you I, think, I, think it's and I, I think it's time to to reclaim that to, to reclaim that from the the the, the corporization of mm -hmm. that term you know what i mean it because Absolutely. because the because that phrase has in many circles become so meaningless yeah. i think it's time I, to, I to reclaim that so to let people know the, that the history of it you could look at it, the history like these these sort of like um sayings or these beliefs or these simple messages start out really from a grassroots place and then as they start to get popular and they start to get visible I mean, we live, let's face it, we live in a capitalist society where yeah. everything is fair game for marketing. Even the word stigma has been really mis misappropriated. Yeah, exactly. Now, stigma is basically whatever is an obstacle to selling drugs. That's yeah. the stigma. You know, and we don't understand it. And so people are encouraged to be fighting stigma. And there's anti-stigma campaigns in there. But it's all about, you know, there's no stigma in mental illness. Go out and seek treatment from a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a real twisting of what the whole message yeah. of anti-stigma yeah. should be. So we have to be very careful. I mean, I, I think that the the main point is the communication, not the words. We need to communicate the real meaning underneath yeah, the words, because the words get co-opted, they get twisted around. Yeah, absolutely. They mean something different than they did. I mean, when the word the word client came in as a really wonderful alternative to the word patient. But now client just means someone who's being pushed around by a bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to be a client, you know? Yeah. Some people are going with customers. Some people go, I don't know. The language always needs to be updated. 
Yeah. And you had mentioned the word uh, bureaucracy, which is 99.99% yeah. of the problem the that problem. we're seeing. Yeah. And not just in the U.S., but but worldwide is well, so much bureaucracy yeah. and red tape. Well, it's interesting to, to look at that because I think really when we talk about it, we're really talking about the mass production of treatment. We're yeah. talking about the model, which is a factory model of interchangeable parts, immediate classification and delivery of services, commodity treatment. It's a factory model. It's a mass production model. It's a capitalist model. It's based on you know, the whole framing in terms of commodities and service and consumption. Yeah. If we don't get away from that, if we don't blast through that, we're never going to solve the so-called mental health problems. I mean, look at what's happened in the pandemic. Suicidality yeah. has gone up. Economic yeah. crisis, suicidality goes up. Clearly, these are social, political, and economic problems. These are not just problems inside of somebody's brain that you can sell a pill or sell a treatment to. So, oh, and I just I just wanted to interrupt and say thank you for wording that accurately as you did in terms of mm -hmm. suicidality, which has gone up obviously versus yeah. the actual rate. So I, I do want to props for that. So thank yeah. you. Like, I've heard I, I've heard various inaccurate versions. Yeah. Of that. So I just wanted to to, to thank got, you. For I haven't that. got the I haven't got the statistics right in my head, but I do know that the words around any kind, anytime you have a taboo topic, yeah. the words are very difficult. And so suicide, there's a difference between suicide, someone killing themselves, mm -hmm. commit suicide. I hate that phrase. It's no, like you yeah, that's, a crime. Yeah. But then people think that the discussion about suicide is the same as the discussion about suicidal feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Suicidal feelings are very common. Mm -hmm. Lots of people have suicidal feelings. Sure. Actually, killing yourself is actually quite rare. Now, obviously, there's a connection between those two things, yeah. but it's a lot more mysterious than people would think. So, I, yeah. I, I think I appreciate you calling attention to the the language and being cautious. Yeah. That's why I say I'm a survivor of a diagnosis of schizophrenia, because I'm trying to unpeel that label. And then people say, "Well, will how do you define yourself? Do you define yourself as mad?" You don't see, do you define yourself as psychotic? I would say I don't define myself in just one word or two words. Let's have a conversation. Let's yeah. talk about I have I have these experiences that you might call altered states or visionary states, but yeah. then sometimes I call them demons because I'm trying yeah. to express how serious it is because yeah. altered yeah. states just sounds like, yeah. okay, you, you got a black light poster and a bong, and it's just like, a, you know, <laughs> language is always complicated, but I think yeah. that's because it deserves a complex conversation rather than just throwing labels and, and uh, reacting based on one or two words. Yeah, absolutely. But again, as we wind down, though, um, I did want to again, um, just, and again, I, I, I'm someone who likes to preemptively anticipate any criticism I, I, I get. And on that point, I did want to ju just clarify for those who might want to be critical of, of this episode or, or critical of you is yeah. that, and again, I want to reiterate this, you at no point have you have you said anything that for those who are on meds, you've said nothing about making that person feel like crap or so I want to just clarify that at no hard point enough, have you- It's hard enough already. Yeah. Look, I was, I was on medications. Yeah. It's very hard. It's a very hard position to be on. I was grateful for the medications at points. So if anybody is listening who's on medications, I would just say, you know, have the courage to not feel ashamed of the choices that you're, you're doing the best you can. You're making the choices. And I don't know your story. Medications might be the best option for you. Who's yeah, going to decide exactly. that? You are. 
You are. I can't tell you what's best for you. Nobody can. You figure that out yourself. And um, so I, th I really appreciate you saying that. And I encourage people to check out a harm reduction approach to medications because we're. It's not about judgment. When judge the psychiatrists are doing the judging, the mental health system. Does, we don't need to do that judging. Yeah, exactly. We need solidarity and compassion and overcoming aloneness. So that the message is, you are not alone. I don't want to push anybody into a corner. I want to welcome people to join the conversation and find community again. So I really appreciate that. That's really important what you said. Yeah, Brad. definitely. Um, and as we went down, I, I definitely want to have you on the, on the show again, because I know that you, you brought up a lot of good points that yeah, let's find another will... find another film we can track. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I can only imagine how many people are probably upset with this episode, not for anything that you said per se, but because they, you know, because I, I that because what I don't I don't I didn't even bother to check the Rotten Tomatoes grade on on the film, but I would imagine maybe Rotten Tomatoes as well, like eighty percent or, or better. I would imagine eighty percent. It's a well crafted well. film. It's a yeah. really well crafted. It's yeah. compelling, and they're like, but they like, oh well, voices <laughs> voices aren't going to work. So we just no. have to have them have imaginary friends who are running yeah. around. Like they took so much, yeah. you know. But but if Ron Howard is listening, like Ron, get in touch with me. We really need to talk. <laughs> it's not too late for you to. Yeah. You know, basically set yeah. the record straight and yeah. get on the right side of this issue. But until then, you guys, I, I mean, if someone can get a good insight on a movie that they've seen before, or they think that they know, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. And if people can have a, a better insight of a, of a related mental health issue, that's sure, even better. Yeah. And oh, I, yeah. Think, yeah. I think that you've helped accomplish that on, on both of those points. Yeah, so, and, yeah so I'd rather, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, hope so, hope so. Um, so as we wind down, I did want to mention a couple of resources. Um, and again, cover earmuffs on, on the, these first two. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 now I'm even more of this. I'm yeah. more of this, Brian. Yeah, uh, Mental Health America, uh, mhanational.org is their website. And uh, I've, done work, I've done work with yeah. Mental Health America, so right. I... And uh, NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Health. So I work with them, yeah. Correct. Yeah. And uh, and the group that I mentioned that I, I am mentioning now more frequently, well, not frequently, but every episode now since before the new year, and that is madinamerica.com. Yeah. Madinamerica.com. Yeah. I like that um, you're giving people some variety and some options. And some definitely. definitely. Madinamerica does not get pharmaceutical industry funding. NAMI and Mental Health America may or may have Correct. Impact, so that's something Correct. to think about, you know? Definitely. Um, now, how would people find out more about Madness Radio? Because there's, you've got a lot in there. There's a yeah, there's lot, of, lot of archive to dig through. There's 180 shows. I, I got really pretty fanatical about it. Back in the days before podcasts and, and before a lot of these stories were out, I really wanted to kind of break the silence and fill a gap. So there's 180 shows you can it's on it's on the different main podcast places like itunes and google play it's on spotify you can also go to madnessradio.net right there and um yeah okay cool well, well thanks so much for being here today i appreciate it thank you brian it's been a real pleasure to hang out and talk about all this stuff likewise now um and thank you those of you at home or at work or you know, wherever you may be um stay safe everyone and uh, talk to you next time. Uh, bye. Bye.